You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. The experience of conviction of sin proves nothing. It's our response to the conviction that demonstrates the repentance. You can say, I accept Christ all you want, and then go on living the same lifestyle that you lived before you said that. But does that prove? It's our response to the conviction that demonstrates repentance. Israel responded by putting away both the bad and going after the good. See, that's what repentance is all about. Have you ever wondered what your purpose is within the church? In today's message, Pastor Dave will remind you that God has a special purpose within the church for every believer. So, take a good look at the gifts and opportunities that the Lord has given you. Do they shed light on what your purpose might be? Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 7. As he continues his message, the nation has a change of heart. Samuel didn't ask him to take what was good from Astareth and take what was good to Baal and add it to our God. He said, no, get rid of them. Put them away. Renounce them. But something was missing. There was still a problem. There was still a problem. It existed. And it needed to be resolved before God could act on their behalf. Let's read 5 and 6. Let's just read, yeah, 5 and 6. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day, and they said, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Oh, he told them to gather. Why Mizpah? Why Mizpah? Where's all my Bible students? This is an important place in Israel history. This is a place where Jacob separated from Laban in in Genesis 31. And it was a place where the repentant Israel gathered in Judges 20, verse 1. Samuel knew that the Lord was doing a mighty work in Israel. And it could only be completed through prayer. Samuel knew that. But before God could hear any prayers, confession had to be made. Confession had to be made. It wasn't enough to destroy the idols. It wasn't enough to... Take the idols away and put them away. Sin had to be confessed. They must surrender to God. Because that's what his covenant said in Leviticus 26, verses 40 through 45. In Leviticus 26, verses 40 through 45. It's interesting. It says this. But if they confess their iniquity and if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they also have walked contrary to me, and that I have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and if they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember. I will remember the land. The land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without them. 
They will accept their guilt because they despise my judgments and because their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them or to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord your God. But for your sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. He made that covenant. He made that covenant promise. Confess your sin. Confess your sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to do what? Forgive our sins and then do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess our sins. We confess our sins. No amount of sacrifices or rituals could wash away their sin. No amount of rituals, and they did it year after year after year after year. Somewhere along the line, I don't know if anybody ever did, countless millions upon millions upon millions of animals were killed and sacrificed to God. 100,000 lambs alone on any given Passover. 100,000. Everybody thinks the temple was such a beautiful, the, 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 the tabernacle in the wilderness was such a beautiful place. It was a place of death. It was a place of death, and it represented the cross. It was a place of death. They killed many animals there, and blood was everywhere. Many animals. But in Psalm 51, David says, the sacrifices of God are not lambs and, boats and, and goats and bulls. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, these, O oh God, you will not despise. That's why he says, return to me with your whole heart. Your heart must be broken. Not just feeling sorry because you got caught in a sin, but broken because you sinned against God. What did David say about his sin against Bathsheba? I'll go, you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned. Broken heart, a contrite heart. When they poured out the water, it was a ceremonial pouring. It was like one having one soul poured before the Lord. It was an expression of emptiness and need. They were expressing the heart. Like in Lamentations 2.19, it says, Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. The Lord knows your heart. How many Psalms do you read where David says, Try me and test me. Look at my heart. See if there's any wicked way within me. Look at my heart, Lord. If the promise of forgiveness and blessings that we read sound familiar, it should. Solomon repeated in everybody's favorite verse for this country. 2 Corinthians 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Solomon prayed this. See, the experience of conviction of sin proves nothing. It's our response to the conviction that demonstrates the repentance. You can say, I accept Christ all you want, and then go on living the same lifestyle that you lived before you said that. What does that prove? It's our response to the conviction that demonstrates repentance. Israel responded by putting away both the bad and going after the good. See, that's what repentance is all about. When you change your mind about God, when you change your mind about the Lord, who he is, and what he can do for you, when you repent of your sin, you put the sin away. And the repentance means you turn around and you follow after God. You follow hard after Christ. That's what true repentance is, moving forward towards Christ. 
But you're rejecting the sin, putting it away. Yes, I've sinned. I confess to you my sin, Lord. I repent of my sin. Well, how are you repenting of your sin? I'm putting it away, I'm leaving it there, and I'm following hard after you. That's true repentance. But most of us repent of a sin, we put it away, and it's on a wagon with a, with a, with a pool chain. And as we walk around, we gank it so it comes with us. You don't have to go to a confessional to confess sins. Baptizing is a form of confessing of sin. Communion is a form of confessing sin. Jesus on the cross took our sin away. It's gone, never to return. The cross of Jesus Christ was sufficient to cover all sin, past, present, and future. Any sin of the entire world, not just yours and mine, but the entire world. The cross was sufficient to take that away. You can sin all you want. Jesus will not return and climb back up on that cross. Once and for all, it's done. It is finished. But we need to confess our sin in the most straightforward way. By admitting to God, we sin. Now, I've done this before, and I think I told you that sometime. One time I was praying to God, I said, Lord, if I've sinned, Lord, I sinned. Lord, I sinned. I did it. We have to admit it. We have to take ownership of it. We did it. Christ paid the price for it. We did it. Our sins are forgiven not because we confess. If that be the case, forgiveness of sin could only come when there was confession. And then we would all be damned. Forgiveness of sin is taken away and we are forgiven because Jesus paid the price on the cross. That is the only reason we have forgiveness of sin. And that's why confession is so important. His blood cleanses us. We confess to retain and maintain that vital relationship with God. We want to keep that vital relationship clear. We want God to hear our prayers, so we confess our sins. See, that, that, that verse I said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from... The, the, the wording there is to continually cleanse. Continually cleanse. As God convicts us, that it's hindering our fellowship with him. If God convicts us that it's hindering our prayers, then we must confess it. It was as if Israel's confession must be personal. It must be a personal confession. God, I have sinned against you. I have broken your commands. I've done what you told me not to do. Forgive us. It isn't confession because it isn't convinced, saying, if we made, like I just said, if I made a mistake, Lord, forgive me. No. It isn't personal. Lord, I made a mistake. I did this when I should have done that. Please forgive me. I confess it to you now. That's confession. Samuel brought the gang together at Mizpah. Very historic place. And they confessed their sin to God. We've sinned against you, O Lord. We sinned against you. How God's heart must have soared. When his children were ever before him confessing their sin, how God's heart soars when you come before him and go, Lord, I've sinned. He doesn't say, I know it. And you did it pretty good too. He doesn't say that. In fact, because the sin's been paid for, past, present, and future, he probably looks down and goes, what sin? You've accepted my son, Jesus Christ. But you confess it. You confess it keeps the lines of communication open. So in verses 7 through 11, let's read those. 
Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel, and when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far below beth Philistines get wind of this great big gathering and they say, hey, we're suspicious. Remember, Israel doesn't have many weapons. They don't have an army. There's nobody to lead the army. They're kind of helpless out there. They're kind of, kind of helpless out there. So the Philistines thinks, you know, hey, we could take them. And this is what our enemy does. Our enemy sees us as helpless. He sees us as helpless, and he thinks that he can get control of us. He thinks that he can do things towards us. Our feelings of confidence can be deceptive. We can get afraid. We can worry about that. Israel was completely confident against the Philistines when the ark came into the camp, weren't they? Woohoo! the ark's here. Yeah, right, we're going we're gonna to take them now. But their confidence was false because it was in the ark of God and not God himself. Confidence misplaced. Confidence misplaced can be deadly. Israel's fearful and sure of defeat. They have no confidence at all. And the Lord says, you're right where I want you. You're right where I want you because all your confidence should be in me. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. We can't go by how we feel, good or bad. We need to just humbly do what was right before God and then trust him for the victory. My victory happened on the cross. Israel seemed to have more faith when they were trusting in the ark than they did when they were trusting in God. They were fearful. What's that all about? But even their small faith in the true living God is more powerful than the strongest faith in a lie. What's the greatest weapon God has given us? The greatest weapon that God has given us is prayer. The greatest weapon we have has always been prayer. Israel's greatest weapon that they had, the greatest weapon they could unleash is the Lord himself. Nation finally has it all together. They ask Samuel to pray to the Lord, and Samuel does so, and the Lord answers him. It's interesting that in Psalm 99, verse 6, it tells us that Samuel was a man of prayer. It actually names him as Samuel being a man of prayer. So Samuel prays to the Lord, he makes sacrifices to the Lord, and the Lord answers him in a big way. So a lamb is offered, a prayer is made, and the Lord hears this. Thunders loudly. Remember, Baal is the thunder god. This this really must have shook him up. Baal is the god of thunder. What's going on? This This confuses the Philistines. And while they were confused, the men of Israel run out, attack them, and they get their cities back. They get everything back. Amazing things happen when we put the Lord first. Remarkable things happen when we put the Lord first. Relationships change. Relationships change, not only yours and God's, but yours to the closest person in your life, whether it be your parents, whether it be your brother or sister, or whether it be your spouse. Relationships change when God becomes first. Amazing things happen, not only in individual lives, but amazing things happen when nations put God first. How blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. How very blessed they are. When we depend on our own plans, when we depend on our own resources, our efforts fail. 
And this brings disgrace to God. But when the Lord's people trust in him, and when they pray, he meets the needs and receives. You've heard me say this before. The army of God moves on its knees. The army of God moves on its knees. A man or woman of prayer is more powerful than any army known of man. Great woman of man of prayer is more powerful than any army. After the great victory, Samuel sets up some memorial stones. Look at verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. The Ebenezer stone, the word means the stone of help. Every single day when you wake up, you can say, God has brought me this far. God has brought me this far. God has held me in his hand this far. And then you have confidence to go into the rest of the day. Because if he brought you this far, won't he be faithful until the end? Exactly. God brought me this far now. It's an encouragement. It's a hope. God has brought me this far and he hasn't dumped me. He hasn't left me on the wayside. His, his, his promise of never leaving nor forsake me is true. He's been with me all along. One commentator said this, the help of the Lord in the past is a prophecy of the help of the Lord in the future. I like that. The help of the Lord in the past is a prophecy of the help of the Lord in the future. I love that. The fact that God has helped me up to this point gives me assurance. He gives me assurance that he's going to make it. I'm going to get there. His assurance constantly says, and every day I wake up, praise God, you've gotten me this far. Praise God. Lord's going to complete what concerns you. That good work he began in you, he's going to be faithful to complete it. We need to be confident of that. Know that, that that's true. Know that God has helped me this far. He's not going to leave me now. He's not going to forsake me now. He's brought me this far. This was the beginning of a turn of tide against the Philistines. Up at this point, the Philistines had been beating them at every turn, had been beating them at every battle. Now, God has turned the tide against the Philistines, and this is what God does in our lives. You may be getting beat by Satan. You may be getting your ears boxed by him. You may be getting pummeled and hammered in all sorts of different ways. Return to the Lord with your whole heart. Return back to the Lord with your whole heart. Prepare your heart to receive him. Confess your sin. Repent. And watch God do mighty works. Watch God do wonders in your life. Wonders in your life. Wonders. Lord, wants so much for you to know the victory that was won on the cross and to walk in that victory. To let it be your life. We go through some hard times. We've been through some hard times. There'll be more hard times. And if the Lord tarries, there'll be more hard times. But we should set up a memorial stone because he has gotten us this far. He has gotten us this far. He has gotten us this far. He is faithful even when we're faithless. He's faithful. Ever faithful. And you know what? That's one thing that we can count on. We can count on his faithfulness. We can't, can't count on him to be just. We can count on him to be true. We can count on that. So as we finish out the chapter, we see in verses 13 through the end, so the Philistines were subdued and they did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. 
Then the cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath. And Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Israel and Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. Then he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. He comes home, and he builds his altar. Now, before you start getting crazy about the fact that Samuel built an altar, let me remind you one thing. The tabernacle was gone. Remember, the tabernacle was destroyed. There was no tabernacle. Shiloh had been burnt to the ground. The tabernacle had completely been destroyed. So Samuel was building this altar, and it was okay because the Lord had given him permission to build this altar, and it was okay. The nation had a new respect for Samuel. Many believe that this was the beginning of Samuel's public ministry towards the entire nation. Samuel now becomes a focal point for both political and spiritual authority in the entire nation. The nation knew that Samuel had been chosen by God and had been appointed leader. They realized this way back in chapter 3. And now he was prepared to go public. And he was received by the people as a judge. He went from town to town to town and served as a judge. What did he do? Well, Scripture tells us in various parts, the judges or the elders would meet at the city gates. They would stand at the city gates, and anybody who had a problem, you would come to the city gates, and you go, here's my problem. This guy stole my horse. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. And then the judges would decide, and they would also decide penalty. They had to go to the city gate. That's where all the business took place. That's where everything happened. Samuel was there. Samuel judged Israel. He was respected. They had to wait until he came in, and then they would go to the city gate, and they would have, be, have their circumstance judged by Samuel. He established this circuit, this riding circuit. He ministered to the entire nation, teaching them the law and hearing cases of dispute. He also gave counsel. He gave counsel, and as a judge, he also passed judgment. He was given that authority by God. We're going to find out in the next, in the next chapter that Samuel had two sons who served with him in the ministry. But like the times were changing, his sons also didn't want much part of the ministry. And we find out once again that, his, that the sons of the, the judge were doing poorly and doing bad things. The elders of the nation wanted change. They want it changed. They want it changed to occur. And when we get to chapter 8, read ahead for next week, because they're going to demand from Samuel a king. We want a king. Why do you want a king? Because every other nation has a king. We want one too. How come they have all the fun? We want a king. Careful what you wish for. Careful what you demand of God. Be very, very careful what you demand of God because you're just liable to get it. As we read now, beginning in chapter 8, We're going to begin to read the life of a man named Saul. Benjamite came from the tribe of Benjamin, who would be the first king of Israel. He would start out in a blaze of glory, but he would end up in a blaze of fire. We're so glad you joined Pastor Dave Shank today for A Sure Hope. 
This study in 1 Samuel has been taking you further into God's process of fulfilling promises, and it may not look like you'd always want it to. God gave a promise to David when he was young and unequipped to handle the magnitude of what was to come. God still gave him a glimpse to the future though, and we walked with David to help him grow and learn. God's plan included trials along with victories, but he was faithful to David throughout. Right now in our country, we are facing a trial never before experienced. Don't fear, God is as faithful to you now as he was to David. He will bring you through, and you can lean on Him for strength and comfort in the waiting. We'd encourage you to read ahead in 1 Samuel and discover for yourself how God works life out, and let Him encourage you through it. How can we be praying for you during this 1 Samuel study and during this unusual time in history? Please give us a call and let us know at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We are pleased to be able to bring you teachings from God's Word on each edition of Assure Hope. If you'd like to hear more from this series in the book of 1 Samuel, visit assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download, and we encourage you to share them with friends and family. That's all we have time for. Thanks for tuning in to Assure Hope.